0: This choircast podcast is brought to you by the book, Too Much and Not Enough, Sacred Thoughts Said Out Loud by Karen Schock. This book is for anyone who has big questions about God and is feeling like a misfit among the people who seem to have it all figured out. Journey with me as we dive into the hard stuff and ask the questions no one else seems to want to ask. We will laugh and cry together. You will shake your head along with me as you read the real stories of anxiety and depression, parenting and marriage, and just plain living this life in the messy middle. I don't have all the answers, but my hope in writing this book is that you, the reader, will feel seen. There is a God who is big enough to handle all of our questions and more loving than we can ever imagine. Let's lean into this life together as we learn how to love and be loved in too much and not enough. Available now on Amazon.
1: If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir, it's heretic happy hour.
2: Welcome back to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, where we are continuing our fantastic series to Fab Florida. And uh, we can't wait to jump into it. But before that, we're going to introduce ourselves. My name is Keith Giles. I'm one of your many co-hosts. I am the author of the Jesus Un series on deconstruction and reconstruction, seven-part series. And go check it out. And also, they recently released Soledadios, What If God is All of Us? full of, chock full of wonderful heresy, uh, you will enjoy it. Um, And poor Latin.
0: And poor Latin.
2: Yes, as David Bentley Hart constantly reminds me, very bad Latin. Uh, Sola (laughs) Mysterium, awful Latin. Sola Deus, even worse. Yes, uh, Latin is is not my strength. Um, But the book is great. So forget, overlook that.
1: And the the book is great. Go check that out.
2: Uh, Joined by my co-hosts, Katie, Shonda, and sometimes Matt, say hello.
1: Hey, everyone, this is Katie Valentine. I am the founder of the Metaphysical Christian Facebook community. So if you want to combine woo and your Christian spirituality, come on over. But, you know, I've not mentioned my actual book in a long time. I feel like it kind of fits in here. So it's called Sex, Slavery, and Self-Control. And because it has the word sex in it and it's about the Bible, it often appears under adult content in Amazon. Yeah,
2: baby. Like
1: <laughs> if you search for it in Amazon, there'll be a little thing that comes up that's like this is for adult eyes only. And Ooh. so if you really are motivated, you know, you can find it on Amazon, but it'll take you a few extra clicks. Um and it's super fun and there's a lot of Greek in there very little Latin but a lot of Greek
0: is it is it good Greek I mean it's, you're, you're... it's
1: correct Greek I'm sure I suspect it is <laughs> I got that shit proofed by other yeah. people yes yeah, good. <laughs> so that's good. if it's mistakes they're mine but yeah I, I got it proofed by people better at Greek than me
3: kind of like the tattoo I have in Bengali I, I crowdsourced that before I yeah, put yeah, it on my body smart smart, uh, smart. <laughs> And then the people who had confirmed it for me after they found out it was for a tattoo, they were like, don't tell uncle. He will be so mad. Anyhow, <laughs> um, that's my father. So yeah. um, I am Shonda. I am, uh, you can find me over on Substack where I write about joy in justice. Uh, and I have said it before. I will say it again. I will say it to, Matt, uh, to Ron DeSantis's stupid face. I remain too fab for Florida.
0: Mm-hmm. And well, I am some. Oh, Katie, go.
3: No, sorry, Matt.
0: No, no, no it's fine. No, no, no,
1: no
3: please. Apparently, what she decided know? sometimes, but not today, so, Matt. Yeah, too <laughs> often,
2: yeah. Matt. Anyway, Personally. let's move on.
3: <laughs> I really, I just really all missed thoughts. Oh, so that's what
1: I was about to say. I was about to say. Uh-huh. Matt, sure.
0: All right. right. thoughts well,
1: for us. Yeah. Here we go then. <laughs>
2: <Good night. laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.
0: All, all so right. I'm well. Really hungry. <laughs> well let's let's wrap this up so Katie can get something to eat I am sometimes Matt and I want to tell you lovely folks that if you rate and review this amateur hour here um, at iTunes, Spotify and you let me know at Matthew at choir.com I will give you a free collection of Jesus on ebooks no I'm just kidding I will give you a free <laughs> ebook that I have written especially for you and it, it just let me know in an email matthew at q u o i r dot com five stars preferably mm-hmm. that's always that's always nice that 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 helps everyone who's looking for their new favorite show find us
4: mm-hmm.
0: and now you. katie would you would you like to um the floor is would you yours. like to say something <laughs>
3: i'm not sure she can this is better than stoned thoughts yes. <laughs> but she has not the endorphins yet.
0: are flooding her body <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> nothing's better than stone thoughts for the record
0: but yeah, true
1: oh we
3: have had we have had
1: at least one request to reignite uh to light light up again oh, nice. um, with <laughs> spark it up we need to spark up another I try. Yeah. yeah i try Okay, those of you who haven't listened to Stone Thoughts, just rewind a few episodes, and uh, you'll you'll see what we're talking about. What well, we are to fab for Florida, and we have a wonderful, wonderful co-host and heretic of the week with us. Um, she actually lives in Florida, so speaking from some firsthand experience about where in the land of don't say gay and. Closing down libraries and pipe bombs and all of that kind of thing. But she is going to bring you um, some love, some joy, some empowerment
4: and art. So
1: y'all are just going to love it without further ado.
0: It's the heretic of the week.
4: I'm Reverend Dr. Angela Yarber and I am a heretic. Hi Angela. <laughs>
1: Hey, welcome, Angela. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, I've had the, the honor and privilege of knowing Angela, I don't know for how long, probably 15 years, kind of on and off. And uh, we we reconnected recently. So I'm so happy you're here as a, as a heretic and to um, guide us through this journey of being too fabulous for Florida. So tell us, why might some people consider you a heretic?
4: Well, to be honest, I think from the outset of my experience with religion, I've almost always been a heretic um, even in those early days when I first uh, converted to Christianity, my belief system was you know pretty uh, at least left of center <clears throat> and over time even once I became ordained uh, in the Baptist tradition, interestingly enough, um, I was always very far left. And now identify as uh, a post Christian or a strategic theist is what I often say. Um, so I'm, I'm intersectionally feminist and queer. And so those things alone would make me be a heretic according to quite a few. And also my belief system is, is quite heretical because I've moved away from having a theology to having a philosophy because you can't really have a theology without a theos
3: that's amazing that's a lot am, to impact.
4: Cool. yeah <laughs>
3: yeah <laughs> i am such a fan of your work angela and love love the way you communicate it on social media i follow you on facebook and uh am just always grateful for what you're putting out into the world tell us about who you are and what you do in the world
4: Thank you. I will. So that is a meandering response. I'll try to keep it as concise as possible. So I am currently an artist and author, a coach and a publisher. And then I also lead retreats. So that seems like a lot of things, especially when we throw in I'm a retired professional dancer. I'm an academic and professor. I was a clergywoman for 14 years. But in all of that work from being a painter and a visual artist, to being an author, to publishing others through my publishing company, the central message is teaching about revolutionary women. So I teach about revolutionary women through art, writing, retreats, courses. Uh, So that's the theme that ties us all together these days, most of my work is through my publishing company to home center publishing, which is an imprint that publishes feminist and queer authors with a commitment that at least half are BIPOC authors. Um, and so elevating those voices, I found that that was missing on the whole in a lot of independent traditional publishing. And then I offer a lot of coaching around that, um, Around book marketing, book writing, and book entrepreneurship. And then alongside all of that, um, I can't pick a lane. I will always be a visual <laughs> artist. Um, for those of you who have the visual here, I'm in my studio and I have a lot of art behind me. So, painting and writing about revolutionary women from history and mythology, and having that be um, an inspiration or an empowering element that helps awaken the revolutionary within others.
2: Angela, I noticed um you in your background uh mentioned that you were formerly uh, a Baptist minister and that now you're post Christian, which by the way, I can identify with both of those things. I was formerly uh licensed and ordained Southern Baptist. I guess I am, I don't think you can lose it, but um but I'm now at least I'm moving into post Christian territory these days. So the tell Southern us a bit Baptist about quality your quality
3: is so bizarre. <laughs> it
2: is. Well, there's so many reasons. Let's not make this about them. Fair specifically because we could do a whole series on what's <laughs> <Yes>. wrong with, <laughs> with the Southern Baptist uh, convention. But um Angela, tell us a bit about your journey and and how that empowered you to create revolutionaries.
4: Absolutely. So I'm so glad that you mentioned the Baptist piece because I have this um love-hate relationship with Baptists. Um more the hate side on Southern Baptists, which do not speak for all Baptists, folks hear that very clearly, right? So what's interesting, I'll just do my one little Baptist polity piece. What's really interesting about Baptist polity is that we don't have a core set of beliefs um, or, uh, or even a hierarchy within our tradition. So it's interesting, Keith, that you said, I guess I still am. So I've often said, you know, I hold my ordination with an open hand. Yep. But unless the council that ordained me at Parkway Baptist Church in 2003, so 20 years ago, decides yep. to gather together and make me revoke my ordination, then I still have that. And and I, it's interesting, because I've toyed with I have several colleagues who have renounced their ordination, but I say because of representation, I do not, Mm -hmm. simply because how many other queer, feminist, part Mexican-American women do you know who have been ordained? And so um, I I still hold that ordination, um, even though I don't necessarily identify as Christian anymore. And it's interesting because I was not raised in a particularly religious family. So that's, even though I grew up in the Bible Belt, that's not my experience. It's interesting that I started going to church when I was 16 because they had a free rock climbing wall in the youth room. Nice. And I this know. was a non-denominational church of the Southern Baptist variety, yeah. if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. No, as soon as you and said so, rock climbing wall, you didn't have to tell us yeah, it was non-denominational. Totally. We knew climbing that. Rock and, yeah. and <laughs> praise band. Um, There are a lot of triple pleated khakis on the youth ministers there. Um, So I started going there and had this very conservative religious experience. And my plan was always to go to Juilliard, to major and dance, to live a life as a performing artist. And they told me uh, that brings glory to you instead of glory to God. And so for about one year, I packed away my ballet slippers. Mm. This was a pivotal year. It was an election year, which sucks. And it was also when I chose where I went to school. So I went to a small liberal arts college that was funded by the Georgia Baptist Convention and um, experienced a takeover there and so i was very lucky Mm -hmm. that i had uh, moderate professors who said you know all this stuff that had been fed to you this version of christianity that's not the only way and so they ended up calling me i was their youth minister for four years and ended up you know becoming ordained and going to seminary and along the way i realized with my ordination with getting my PhD, with being a pastor for 14 years, that my language shifted when I was preaching to, I believe, and then we believe, and then our tradition teaches us, and then the Christian tradition teaches us. Because I was realizing that I was moving farther and farther away. Um, and it was Almost a return for me because I was raised by a a strong feminist single mom, um, you know, working poor family, living in a a government subsidized project complex. And um, it was a return to home in a lot of ways, um, belief wise, because even though my mom was never into like goddesses and things like that, that was something that always interested me when I was younger. And was the weird middle schooler like marching in PETA parades and stuff like Aww. that, and doing animals' rights and women's rights and all of this stuff. So, the farther left I moved within the religious tradition, the closer to myself I became. And and since then, I I left the church officially a little over a decade ago, after fourteen years of being a pastor. And since then, have really abided in this post Christian strategic theist, um kind of goddess spirituality space is where I personally find nourishment. And also when I work with a lot of clients, some who are still in the Christian tradition but are holding these two realities at once. Like they're like witchy Christians. <laughs> um, so that's that's where I find myself these days and where I'm doing a lot of my work, even though I return to churches sometimes to do consulting work and things like that. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit
2: about what what set you on this journey like how did you get from being baptist to goddess you know queer and like all this stuff like that's a big jump even if, you're right. not, even if you don't start from southern baptist like w- was there something that happened or something that just a thought or a like a re- realization or what happened that kind of set you off in this direction
4: Well I feel like once I identified as Baptist because of a lot of Baptist polity and principles, so the separation of church and state, the priesthood of all people, mm-hmm. um, liberty of conscience. So part of it was actually staying true to my Baptist roots of saying, well, the liberty of my conscience, my conscience is saying, I don't know if I believe this anymore. So in some ways it was um, a natural organic journey, not a big shift, but there is one shift that I'm a little surprised that I'm going to share. But since this is Heretic Happy Hour, I will. So (laughs) before I fully realized I was queer, uh, my first year of seminary, I was engaged to a man. And um, of course, I had taken all of those purity vows that a lot of conservative Christians do. And I had my purity ring. And so I was being um, pure. But I remember one time... um, We were like fooling around, and I had this little marker written scripture that was hanging on my bed that said, Oh, I don't even remember where it's from now. Back then, I definitely would have known, but it was something along the lines of, In King James, how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word?
1: That sounds like it's from Proverbs. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Yeah. yeah,
4: I was thinking it was Proverbs or Psalms, but that's not very psalmy. So, Um, it's interesting. So we're like making out and he had been through seminary, was a seminary graduate. And at one point a pause in the passion and he sees this scripture on my bed and he's like, why do you have that there? And I said, well, you know, because I, you know, I need to be pure. And this is a reminder to be pure. Uh, the litmus test for all women in particular. Um, And he was like, yeah, but why do you have this version? You're not a man. How does a young man keep his way pure? And I was like, right, I know, you know, and I know that the text, you know, I I don't even remember what it is in Hebrew now, but you know, like I know in Greek it's anthropos and that actually means person. And he's like, yeah. And he like ripped it down and tore it up
0: and then got out oh.
4: markers and handed them to me. And so I feel kind of bad, like giving him this credit because he ended up being a jerk. But anyway, <laughs> um, he was like, you know, that language doesn't include you. So it was this interesting thing where that helped me on my path toward more embracing feminist theology mm-hmm. and feminist language for God and for humanity. Um, and so it's odd that that happened during like, a makeout session with a man when I'm that queer an now.
1: God um, works in mysterious ways, that's Angela, right? You, know, right? right <laughs> you also said something in there that I think would be a great title for a book one day: "A Pause in the Passion." Mm-hmm. Wow.
4: So. Well, and I think I mean that's so much of a double entendre in Christian theology because. Right. You know, passion is like the passion of Jesus always and crucifixion and suffering. And then we don't want to have passion like, ooh, la, la, passion. Like, that's wrong and bad and impure. And it's interesting that, especially in working with potential authors right now, there are a lot of people from, you know, Nadia Boltzweber recently wrote a book about like recovering from Mm -hmm. the purity Mm -hmm. movement and then created that, like, sculptural vulva that's made out of purity rings that were melted down. So these conversations are happening where I've got a couple of potential authors in the queue who are writing about like surviving purity culture and now being able to embrace their own passion and the role that that has in the world. So this was a path I did not imagine we would go down during this conversation, but (laughs) nevertheless, we did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Angela, you are actually in
1: Florida as yes. part of our two fab for Florida experience so we would love to hear just a little bit what what is going on mm-hmm. in Florida of course we want to lift up not only the um the oppressive laws we don't we don't want to lift those up at all but um this is our response we want to respond to the anti-queer laws and legislation that's going around the United States right now, but doing that in a positive, um, fun way. But we do want to give you a platform to say um, whatever you need to about living in Florida and the wonderful, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But we know that you're an artist uh, and that you make queer goddess art. And um, we want to hear about why art is revolutionary and especially
4: queer art. Sure. So shall I take the Florida piece first and then move to the art piece second?
1: Open platform. However, you want to cover okay, it. If you don't want to say anything about Florida, that's fine. You're totally your prerogative.
4: So I'll I'll briefly say like I'm not a fan of living in Florida. Um, <laughs> in fact, my family is planning a move right now, so we will be leaving Florida um, likely next summer for the Pacific Northwest. But um, I live in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is actually a really progressive city. We have the biggest pride in the state, um, and you know in my neighborhood and in a lot of places that you walk around in the city you'll see um pride flags the inclusive pride flags and and different things like that so the city itself is fabulous but it exists in the state it's a lot like Austin is to Texas um a lot of people would use that analogy um so from book bands to drag bands to um saying that doctors can discriminate and refuse treatment based on their religious beliefs to just DeSantis being to Satan mm-hmm. himself. Um a whole mm-hmm. host of horrible things have been going on, but in the midst of that what has been interesting is that the queer community and some straight allies too are really rising up and doing some really prophetic work. So whether it is, I think of Rachel Carvalho, who lives here in St. Pete, and she just hosted this huge, she runs Outcoast Florida, which is a queer Florida travel agency. Um, and she just hosted this huge queer and tourism conference. Um, and I think about even, uh, I'm part of a a local women's entrepreneurial and small business group, right? We're not that big. There's like 5,000 of us. But even recently, um, I saw a post in our Facebook group where apparently someone had said something that the admins deemed hate speech. I never saw what it was, but it, you know, it was, uh, loosely anti-gay and they just, it's all straight women who run this. But they did a long piece about like, this is who we are. This is who our values are. You don't have to value the exact same thing as us, but we will not allow for there to be discriminatory language or hate speech in our group in a way that made me really proud to be a part of just this, you know, small women's entrepreneurial group. Two, um, there are several churches in our area. I think of the UU where I go, where we've had a drag Sunday. I think of Allendale Methodist, where their signs are always making the news um, about book bans and um, queer marriage and, you know, a whole host of things. And then uh, as a selfish promo, I would also say I think of the work that Dr. Paige Rawson and I are doing. She's in Orlando. Um, We're leading a queer spirituality retreat in Orlando in January as a way to reclaim our space, especially after the recent um, hate graffiti tags that have been put on the Pulse um, memorial there in Orlando. So, and she's doing revolutionary work with her queer as faith work and a whole host of things like that. So there are a lot of people here in Florida doing the good work. And then I balance that personally with, for me and my queer family and my special needs foster children, like the emotional labor that goes into that. And for us, even though I know Florida needs us, It is not a space like where we can stay. Um, It's just it's not a safe place for us. It's not a place where our creativity and the health of our family can thrive. And so we've chosen to leave um, primarily for political reasons, but also because it's like hella hot here in the summer. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the Florida bit. And then when I talk some about the revolutionary art and writing for me a lot of it is I think of uh, Gloria Anzaldúa has two really beautiful pieces one about arting and one about art and one about writing and the writing piece is she says the world I create and my writing compensates for what the real world does not give me and then with art, she, she talks about the role of the artist as restoring el daño, restoring the damage, and that in restoring the damage, you become comadres in la lucha or co-mothers in the struggle. And, and then she goes on to say, I believe in the transformative medicine of art. And just in case folks who are listening don't know, Gloria Anzaldúa is a queer Chicana theorist and feminist and um, an amazing revolutionary writer and artist. So when I think about my own role as an author, as a coach who's publishing other authors and lifting up their stories and their stories of other revolutionary women, and as an artist who paints these women, part of it is because we can't see, we can't be what we can't see. And so it's an opportunity to see and hear and bear witness to these voices that have always been there, right? These voices of revolutionary women and revolutionary non-binary kindred um, as a way of passing the mic, of elevating, of holding a megaphone up, because those are the stories that we all need to hear. Those are the stories that Florida residents need to hear. And those are the images that we need to see. Um, Because if we can see them, then we can be them.
3: I really appreciate that, particularly because you and I got connected through Katie um, when we were working on that summit about uh, ancestors and, well, I think of it as ancestors and activism, a whole bunch of other things as well. Uh, And one of the things I really appreciate about your work as you're kind of evoking specific people. I find myself thinking about the fact that I mean some of us here on this call <clears throat> some of our listeners some of the people that our listeners love um are living in situations where our safety is at risk our lives are at risk um our employment status and employment protections are at risk and there's something about the folks that you're evoking right the uh um queer women, uh, women of color who are deeply spiritual um, ancestors and still with us. And you've talked a little bit about queer feminism. And so one of the things I wanted to ask about is if you could outline for us why queer feminism is amazing, how you showcase that in your art, writing, teaching, and coaching. I also wonder if there are ways that the women you've been evoking offer you wisdom and comfort as a, an individual, um, if you have any advice for our listeners on any practices they might engage in for a little bit of comfort, encouragement, uh, support, uh, in what is really hard
4: times. Hmm. I think that's so good. Such a good question. And I think, I hope that I can respond to every facet of it. I, I feel like one, I'll, I'll take it backwards. Um, with the caveat that I've been, I wanted to reach out and say to you as we're entering into the season of, you know, I think of the fall as like ancestor rich season. Um, so I've been thinking of you with, in regard to that. And I often call, uh, the women that I paint and write about, the women in non-binary kindred, the subversive sisterhood of saints. And I think of them, if we talk about the Christian tradition, we often refer to this as the great cloud of witnesses. Um, and so I think of them as behind me, before me, beside me, within me. Um, and I think that that's particularly meaningful when some of your ancestors have been a bit shitty um, to know that you can have some that you draw upon that might not be your blood relatives, but are still your ancestors in belief and being in the world. Um, and so there's one, I think one in particular that I'll name who has been nourishing for me and whose story I'm always preaching and shouting from the rooftops. And that's Polly Murray, who has indeed in the past few years become a bit more known, but Polly Murray, um, I will use, uh, she and her pronouns for Polly simply because that's what she used for herself. But Polly, um, likely if she, were alive today would have identified as trans, um, but we have no way of knowing that because she didn't have access to that language. Um, but Polly was a civil rights attorney who coined the phrase Jane Crow to accompany Jim Crow laws to acknowledge the sexism that goes alongside racism. Right. And she went to law school after being denied entrance into Harvard because of her gender, into UNC because of her race. She ends up going out to UC Berkeley, which is where Katie and I connected in Berkeley. And that's where you are, too, right? Uh, currently, I'm in Philadelphia, but my heart okay. remains in Oakland. Yeah. <laughs> got it. OK, um, so she goes out there and then writes uh, a book that Thurgood Marshall describes as the Bible of the civil rights movement. Uh Forms Now, the National Organization for Women, is in intimate, loving relationships with other women, ends up taking hormone treatments and saying that she always felt like a man trapped in a woman's body, um, dressed in what was seen in that time as male dress. And then in her 60s, receives a call to ministry and goes to seminary, becomes the first African-American woman ordained um, in the Episcopal tradition presides at her first Eucharist or communion at the church where her grandmother, then enslaved, was baptized. So she's just this absolutely revolutionary, badass figure. And I think about her writings and her poetry and her memoirs and autobiographies, where she claims hope is a song and a weary throat. Give me a world where I can sing that song. I'm messing up the end of the quote, but hope is a song in a weary throat. And so when I think about some of these practices, I think about the history of spirituals in my own tradition and the double entendres embedded in there. That's a whole topic for another day. Um, And so I think of the power of the arts, of singing, of voice, of creativity as a a tool for not self care in like the bubble bath sense, but radical self care for collective liberation, right? Um, and while I'm on this tangent, I'll add this and then I might ask you to repeat part of your question because I feel like I've lost it, but I'm going to keep going. Oh, I asked um, you about seven questions, so don't worry about that. <laughs> <happen. laughs> so since I'm here and I mentioned self care, I want to bring up, you know, there's that quote that goes around a lot by Audre Lorde, a black feminist author, um, that talks about self-care as an act of political warfare, that caring for yourself is an act of political warfare. And of course, she's saying this as a sister outsider, as um, a black queer woman living outside the boundaries of what society says and religion says is acceptable. And what I always say in this work that I do and talking about these revolutionary women and, and then stepping into like these kind of woo woo wellness spaces, um, and into spaces that I often refer to as you go girl feminism rather than like true grounded intersectional feminism. Um, that I say what self care truly is and women's empowerment and painting these women and writing about them and doing all of this work is that it is analogous to a power saw. Stay with me on this. Okay. So if you were working with a power saw, we'll say it's a circular saw for lack of a better word. Um, and it's not working. There are one of three things that could be wrong with your power saw. It could be that your blade is too dull and it needs sharpening. It could be that your battery pack that's charging the power saw has run out and you need to plug it in. Um, and it could be that your power source is altogether faulty. So you're plugging it into a faulty outlet, right? And I think that is the same in doing this activism and empowerment work with regard to self-care for collective liberation. So there is the blade sharpening, and that is necessary, right? Meditation, yoga, behavioral practices that we can work on shifting and changing. Those are important and necessary. And then there's also the battery recharge, which is the obvious. That's the bubble bath self-care, right? Or that's the like having a glass of wine or eating your dove chocolate or whatever it might be. And then there's also the power outlet being faulty. And this I'm is sure what I'm you I think, actually meant to recommend Fair Trade Chocolate. I'm just tossing right, it. Right. No, you're thank you for saying <laughs> that. Yes. I was thinking about commercials we- where it shows like a hyper thin white woman, like, oh, <laughs> this is so decadent. My one piece of um, unfair chocolate. Yeah. So I digress. Thank you for that interruption. Um, but the piece that I think is often missing in these conversations is the faulty power outlet. Because the world in which we exist right now is a massive, faulty power outlet. It is as though you're trying to do your self-care restorative bubble bath and the system has given you itch powder instead. So of course you are not going to feel relaxed. And what often happens is that marginalized people, the people that I am writing about and painting and, and et cetera, et cetera, um... Are trying to do the blade sharpening. They're like, okay, I'm going to attend this workshop and I'm going to learn how to be more efficient. And then I'm going to meditate and then I'm going to do this. And they change their behaviors. And then they're like, okay, I need to have self care. So I'm going to take this restorative bubble bath. And then at the end, they're like, but why am I still so exhausted and feel as though it is a lack or something that is wrong with them? When in actuality, the entire system is fucked. Because it's systematically designed to disenfranchise all of us. And so I think that as, as a sideways answer to some of your questions, when I think about the writing that I do, the painting that I do, the retreats I lead, and, uh, the coaching that I offer for authors in their own writing is to say, what role is the system in this process? Yes, do your self care. And yes, Do your behavioral changes that help make your life better, but also acknowledge that even when you're doing that to the best of your ability, we're still living in a faulty system. And so how do we dismantle that system and then recreate and radically reimagine a space that is better for us all? Florida's not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) But. As you've pointed out, enough
3: of us doing it together can can shift things, and you know one of the things I really appreciate about your answer is, um I had kind of started out by asking about queer feminism, and what I loved about what you've just shared is it's such a good reminder Queer feminism isn't just theory that you read in books, right no. queer, queer feminism is something you practice, you live out and I wonder actually if If we have, uh, if you have any thoughts on what queer feminism means for folks who maybe haven't thought of themselves uh, as feminists and don't identify as queer, because I know that your work has room for folks who are committed to a shared vision. I wonder what you have to say uh, along those lines. Although, I am also all about there are some spaces that need to be for people who are marginalized and um, that that's not actually a problem in and of itself.
4: Absolutely. I appreciate you naming both of those things. And what I think is interesting is that being an intersectional feminist necessarily means it necessitates that there is queerness, whether that's your sexuality or your political identity. and or both. Um, it also necessitates that we are aiming to elevate the voices of all who are existing at the margins. Um, because it's not just intersectional feminism is not just lifting up women, but acknowledging that all of these intersecting pieces of our identity um, are a part of, of what needs to be acknowledged with regard to power and privilege. And so it's really interesting that I feel like I've worked with a few folks who at first say, well, I'm not a feminist because, and it's because they have one particular view of it as this like angry, bra burning, screaming, um, maybe 1970s first wave or second wave version. And which I have no problem with awesome. that. Which is also awesome. Exactly. As I resonate with that personally. personally <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think that too often folks want to create a binary and say that, well, if we lift up feminism, then that means that we're pushing down men. Or if we lift up queerness, that means we're pushing down straight people. And one, I mean, the world's already doing the opposite of that anyway. But um, as was it Michelle Obama, who famously said, you know, sharing one person having more isn't taking it away from you because it's not a pie. It's not like you're slicing pieces and being like, ha none for you. Um, I see it almost like a rubber band that stretches. And so that means that some folks who might not have particular marginalized identities are going to have to stretch themselves a little bit more. But it doesn't mean that their rights are being taken away or that they aren't valuable humans, right? And I believe that intersectional feminism identifies that and believes that. And also, I can't help but think with regard to queerness, I have a dear friend who um, has a t-shirt that reads, everybody's a little bit queer. And it's interesting because I've asked her before, and I was like, you know, you're like, on the sexuality spectrum, one of the straightest people I know. So tell me what you mean by this. And she's like, you're right. When it comes to my sexual orientation, I am, I am not queer at all. I am straight as an arrow. Um, and in the way that she, raised her children in the way that she runs her business, in the way that she resides in the world, she does a lot of queer things using queer as a verb rather than an adjective or even a noun. And I think that we all have the capacity to do that, especially if we return to that kind of original dictionary definition of the word queer, which is to subvert or intentionally transgress, mm-hmm. um, to be outside the status quo. And the status quo right now Sucks, and so if we are existing outside of that, then what we're doing is a queer act.
1: So you, you, we've we've been throwing around the F word, feminism, quite a lot, <laughs> and I think you, um, you did a good job of kind of defining defining it just now. But I'm just wondering if we can have a conversation, like in a in simple words, what is feminism? And that, there's no such thing as simple words,
4: but if you were going to put it on a bumper sticker what might it say? Well, I think this is a bumper sticker. The radical notion that women are equal to men or just as valuable as men. um, I nuance that a little bit more, but then that's a footnote rather than an answer um, because I say that it's intersectional. So it's meaning that all the isms that are used to exclude and divide are acknowledged, not just gender. Um, But this radical notion that we should all have not just equal, but equitable access To the same things um, and be treated equitably.
1: Yeah, I I appreciate that. Thank you. And uh, because I know a lot of people who are deconstructing um, picture feminism, exactly like you said, kind of a 60s, 70s portrait of fires and bra burnings, like I said, nothing wrong with that. Um, But that's a turnoff for a lot of people. And I, just my speculation, um, so I'd be curious what everyone thinks, but many people believe that feminism simply wants to put women in charge. Again, nothing wrong with that, but the uh but i I think intersectional feminism envisions a different system um that you were talking absolutely. about with your art and and writing and coaching everything that you do. um and so that's a very different portrait. so it's interesting that we use a patriarchal mindset in order to um misconstrue feminism
4: absolutely. I think I mean what you said is spot on, and all I can say is amen, oh woman <laughs> to that. <laughs> Cool. Thank you. No, and I I,
3: I appreciate that because uh, I find myself thinking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, was kind of famous for uh, a quote. Somebody had asked her when she would be satisfied with women's representation on the Supreme Court. And she said, you know, how many women would be enough, I think was the question for her to feel satisfied. And she was like, yeah, I think nine would be good. Um and yeah. <laughs> for people who don't know, there are only nine Supreme Court justices, uh at least for now. Nine. And and there was such a huge backlash to it. And you know, there was that very popular uh that very popular saying. Why do you think that if you didn't have seats on the Supreme court men that you would be less well represented. Right. Do you think there's something wrong with not having equal representation? Uh, So I think, um, I think that there's, there's an element of the ways that we construct the narratives of our opposition. Right. And so, and, I hate to use the term opposition, but folks who are really committed to the existing institutions, the status quo, um, they have a lot of reasons to fear that we want to reverse what they've done in terms of like, just take the existing systems and flip them on their heads instead of realizing we actually want to create a different system. Uh, So I think it's worth spending a little time talking about that because that's really an important distinction. Although I still think nine women on the Supreme Court would be
4: awesome. I think the Barbie movie would agree with you thought, on that. You know what? I was just thinking
2: of that. The Barbie movie is a great example of that.
4: And it is interesting because we often exist within these binaries and the hierarchies that you have two things and one is always better than the other. And instead, what I think intersectional feminism and especially queer feminism says is we don't even want these binaries, just right. knock them down. And we just have this beautiful interstitial space. And it's a bit messy and funky, but I would rather have like messy and funky than oppressive and detrimental. <laughs>
2: yeah, it is difficult to, um, when when people who have the privilege think about someone, again, that, that their mindset is that uh, you want to create a system that's like the one they created, which oppresses people who don't, who aren't like them so they immediately go there they just assume that you want to create a, a an oppressive system like we have but in a way that reaction admits that they have created an oppressive system it's just one that they don't want to be on the bottom right they're they're totally fine with it the way it is but they even if they don't realize it subconsciously they are actually reacting in a way that says that they know uh deep down they do realize that they are putting other people beneath them and they're just not willing to uh to suffer that same way themselves.
4: Absolutely. And I, I think on the whole, like white people do that the most, um, that, that is uh, uh, a skill yeah. of white privilege. Um, mm-hmm. And what's interesting is, you know, this is heretic happy hour. When I think of y'all know this better than I do, of course, but when I think of so many he- famous heretics throughout history, a lot of it was acknowledging that the current system is unjust. Yep. And then, Radically trying to reimagine that, and then the people in power are like, "You're challenging this system, so you're a heretic, and now I will burn you." Yeah, uh, yeah,
2: yeah. But give it enough time, and those heretics become our heroes, right? Right. <laughs> we celebrate them, like, yeah, they were so great and so re-. yeah. But then, but then, when the next one shows up to challenge our system, we, you know, we're not so happy, right? Well, uh, I have to ask. Um, Angela, we we've, we've been asking everyone in this series uh, a, a wonderful um, hypothetical situation, um, and, and I guess you. I'll let you decide what what hypoth- hypothetical situation. Oh wait, is.
3: it's less hypothetical for Angela.
2: That's true. This could really happen, right? So you know, you're at the grocery store, you're you're <coughs> at you're at the, your favorite restaurant or something, and in walks Ron DeSantis, and they seat him right next to you. Um, what, and, and and by some odd, you start t- having a strike up a conversation. Um, what would you say, what would you like to say uh, to Ron DeSantis if you had that opportunity?
4: That is such a good and hard question um, because on the one hand, so there's so many different things. <laughs> <laughs> on the one hand, I try to imagine like in what circumstance would he and I ever be in the same space, Right. right. <laughs> Um, and then when I mentioned this to my wife, she said, Oh yeah, that's a really hard question because you want to balance like empathy with prophecy. Yes. And yes. <laughs> what that's do you very kind, of-
1: kind of her to balance empathy? Cause I got to tell you, it's not, not particularly in my heart right now.
4: Right. Right. Um, I'll be honest in that it would depend on the day because, having any conversation with Ron DeSantis would be so much emotional labor Mm -hmm. um, that I don't know if I even could say anything. And then when I think of the shoulders upon which I stand and the fact that I have the privilege of being a queer, ordained, part Mexican-American woman, And the folks that I represent, um, that makes me feel that I need to say something. So the only thing that I can really think of is, um, because of you, my family needs to leave Mm -hmm. the state, you know? So like, and if you look at that on paper, I don't say this to like toot my own horn or brag, but if you look at it on paper, like my wife and I are successful, Thoughtful, we contribute to society. We have two children that are adopted through foster care and have special needs. And like on paper, they're all the things that you kind of want to check off and say live in your state, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and because of Ron DeSantis, the things that you're doing, and even more the rhetoric that you provide that what that's causing everyday people to do, um, it's not a safer, welcoming place for my family. It means that in second grade, a kid in my kid's class, their parents complained, and that meant that Ruby Bridges could no longer be shown on TV because it made the white kids in the class feel bad. Even though Ruby Bridges was their age and indeed happened and is still living today. Um, So like things like that just completely baffle me and, and the role of... Like, what is it exactly that you are afraid of? And well, now I clearly have a lot to say to him. And I would want to ask, like, do you really believe these things or is this just your appealing to Trump's base? Like, Mm -hmm. do you honestly believe that my amazing trans friends at church shouldn't be leading the kids Sunday school class? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, or whatever it might be, or that my books and so many amazing books and Amanda Gorman's books don't belong in the libraries at school. Like, do you honestly believe that? And if so, why? What are you afraid of? Mm. And then I would wash my hands and run away screaming.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, um, thank you, And I I consider the universe to be kind of working on your side here, so like mm-hmm. this opportunity may come up. So um, get get your self care in order for for your inevitable encounter somehow with Ron DeSantis. Uh, and anyway, it's it's here now. Um, this has been so amazing, and Angela, you do so many things. What's the best way for people to connect with you?
4: Yeah, if it's all right, I'll say how to connect with me and maybe a couple exciting things that are coming up that people might want to connect about. Okay. Um so if you go to our website to homecenter.org and that's spelled T E H O M center.org, to home is the Hebrew word for deep. So to homecenter.org, you can email me there, follow us on Facebook. Instagram. Once upon a time, we were on Twitter, but we don't do it anymore. And eventually I'll get my act together and we'll be on TikTok. But for now, (laughs) the website and email, Instagram and Facebook are great places to connect with us. And some things that are coming up that are really exciting are three. So uh, one, there are two really fabulous retreats. One, I already mentioned the Queer Spirituality Retreat in Orlando that I'm leading with Paige Rawson. I'm also leading a reimagining writing retreat in Baja, Mexico with Dr. Kate Evans in April. And um, we're actually getting pretty full already. So check that out on our website. And then um, if you are someone who's always dreamed of publishing a book and writing a book and you want your voice to be heard. I would love for you to reach out to me and to Home Center Publishing. We will have a new winter cohort starting in January. And that is a group cohort where you get coached through book writing, book marketing, and book entrepreneurship with this subversive sisterhood of scribes across the gender spectrum. So it's a blast. And I absolutely love lifting up the work of my authors because they are doing revolutionary work in this world. And as has already been said, really amazing things can happen when revolutionaries are joining together with our vision for making the world a more just and beautiful place.
2: Awesome. So great. Well thank you so much, Angela. This was wonderful.
4: Thanks awesome. so much for having me, thank fellow heretics.
1: Appreciate it. <laughs> Angela, that was so amazing. I've known Angela for Fifteen years about.
3: No Notice. Yeah. Wow. I, I wish like everybody her. could see her art. Um like I, I know it's an not. audio podcast, but like I wish people could see her art because it just kind of captures everything about what she's uh who she is, what she's doing. You can all see Angela's art. Oh. Wow. We can we can put that link at the bottom. Oh, of that's the a show
1: good
2: notes. idea. Check Can't out we... the show notes. Yeah. yeah. Drop a link in there. The magic of the internet.
0: Yes perfect well, now the pressure's on for me to remember to do that yeah, come <laughs>
2: on. yes that's exactly what we're doing yep
0: all right i love totally. it totally
2: yeah. absolutely <laughs> <laughs>
1: who's on first after you look at Angela's art, come to our Facebook group, uh, Heresy After Hours. This this is our free community. It's a, it's a huge perk for listeners of the podcast and anyone who's in that tricky stage of deconstruction, reconstruction with your spirituality and your um, religious identity. So come and join us. We'll talk about the episode, talk about Angela, talk about art, talk about being too fab for Florida.
3: Also, so grateful to all of you who are already investing in the podcast. As you know, this is a labor of love. Woo-hoo! And amen. Thanks to all of you. Um, it is a labor of love. A lot of work goes into it. And we are grateful for our contributors. If you are not yet, uh, one of our patrons, it is worth doing because when we hit a hundred, I believe Matt's getting a forehead tattoo. Uh, of <laughs> yes. <laughs> the all of our is moving. I'm just kidding.
0: All of our faces. <laughs> it went from a tramp stamp <laughs> to a forehead tattoo. Okay.
3: It's, so, no, all kidding aside, um, Matt has said if we hit a hundred patrons, uh, he will get a tattoo of the heretic happy hour logo, I have gotten him to commit to uh, a little bit of video footage so that we can uh, have confirmation of mm-hmm. its existence mm-hmm. and location. Oh,
0: shit. We already got three, so we're at 95 as of recording yes, this. Yes, so. it's going
3: to happen. Come on, everybody. We, do it. Do it. go, 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 it, go.
0: Love
2: it. <laughs> Love it. Keep it up. We'll just, we'll just it. Barrett has to walk over to, to the stool. <laughs> <laughs> to pick up his banjo.
3: I <laughs> <laughs> did like the idea of a neck tattoo.
2: I do the neck. Yeah,
3: Those
2: Those perfect, like
3: right? logo would this perfect, logo on that
2: side. Maybe <laughs> 110, 110. go <laughs> <110, laughs> the My wife would kill me. <laughs>